Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. two sides of the opposite coin, both hyper-focused on what I deserve. We said that both of these things, shame and entitlement, are both rooted in the kingdom of pride that makes the whole world about me. As we've walked through these last weeks, we've shared how this kingdom of pride manifests itself in the emotional and epidemic and often uneducated mass appeals for things like cancel culture, and virtue signaling, the self-assuredness of what we called Wikipedia PhDs, and the orphan laments of first world problems. And again and again, over these last weeks, we've been invited by Jesus into a better way. So at the end of this time, the end of this series together, I want us to go back to the start. Because it's not enough for us to just leave the land of shame and entitlement It's time for us to learn how to live as residents in the far superior and opposite kingdom that could only be called grace and gratitude. Now grace, if we're wanting to define it, is this. Grace is the coming alive to the kindness and adoration of a God who does not give us the bad we deserve. And gratitude is the opening of our eyes to the kindness and adoration of a God who is presently lavishing a million blessings we could never deserve. I want you to see the contrast between these. See, both of them are responding to this, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, and saying, praise God, we don't get what we deserve. Grace is the coming alive to the kindness and adoration of our Father, who does not give us the bad we deserve. That's good news, amen? Amen. And then gratitude is the follow-through of that to the opening of our eyes, to the kindness and the adoration of our God, who is lavishing a million blessings upon us that we could never position ourselves to deserve. See, both grace and gratitude are about living from God's adoration, living in abundance, and living for a world to experience the wonder of our God's love. So in this last week, this is what I want to do. I want us to have a practical equipping to answer the question, where do we go from here? And what I want to look at is two specific things. I want to look at what it would would look like in our lives to have declarations of grace and rhythms of gratitude. So I want to unpack that. The first one I want to talk about is declarations of grace. 
And we turn to Revelation chapter 12, and it says this. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Now, this scene is a future scene of the unveiling of everything you and I have hoped and longed and prayed and waited for that are at last here in their fullness. The system of accusation has been silenced for the last time, never to be heard again. And all you and I can see is Jesus. And it's here in this passage that we're given three reasons to rejoice. And the reason I want you to get excited this morning is that all of them are already ours, meaning there's a present victory that we can live from today. The first is this. It says that we triumph over the enemy by the blood of of the Lamb. At the cross, Jesus summed up the entire work that he had come to do on our behalf, saying, it is finished. It literally in Greek means paid in full. The work of the cross has been finished and is yours forever. It's done, period. Can somebody get excited about that this morning? See, I'm convinced that what we need is not a new revelation from God but a fresh understanding of the finished work of God who already adores us. We triumph over the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. And somebody say, it's done. done. So here's the deal. If you need three things to rejoice, the first one's it's done, and you had nothing to do with it. Isn't that awesome? Can't screw it up. The second one is this. We triumph over our enemy by the word of our testimony. See, every place a heart applies the blood of the lamb, the power that makes hell flee appears, and we receive anew the Father's adoration, and the kingdom of heaven advances. Every time you take the blood of the lamb and apply it to your heart and say, that's for me. Is there anybody in the room that would say, that's for me this morning? That's, That's what it means to have the word of your testimony. You apply the blood of the lamb, and suddenly the power of God that makes hell flee appears and the kingdom advances. The third one is this. It says that we triumph over the enemy by Jesus being our treasure. We don't love our lives so much that we would shrink away from death. See, when you and I desire Jesus so much, we're willing to lay down anything else just to experience and be with him. We find that nothing can take our joy. And so in that, I just want to ask three questions this morning. This could be a little bit of crowd participation. Number one, did Jesus do what he promised? Yes. Number two, has Jesus' love changed you? Yes. Yes. Okay, that one needs to be a little bit louder. Number two, has Jesus' love changed you? Yes. Yes. And number three, do you want him more than anything? Yes. Yes. Therefore, the only fitting response for our hearts is to rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in it. See, when the voice of the accuser and the voice of every broken thing that's still in the process of bowing its knee to Jesus gets loud, there's nothing more you need to do than to simply refocus your hope on what is already yours. Somebody, come on. That's good. You understand right now that whatever is opposing you is in the process of bowing its knee to Jesus. 
Did you know that? It may not know it, but the whole world will bow before the name of Jesus and see. And by the way, that's not intended to be a fear thing. You will bow before me. That's not our God. Our God's the love that drives out fear. It's the most gracious thing in the world. What he's saying is there's an unveiling and an unopening of all eyes that they'll be able to see who he is. That everything is in the process of bowing down, even if they're fighting against him. So listen, if you're in the process of something bowing down that is still resisting and it gets loud, there's nothing else for you to do but simply refocus your hope onto the finished work of the cross. See, that's the goal of maturity in the Christian life, is that we move beyond what we feel to intentionally positioning our, uh, positioning our heart to see and stand on what he finished. I'm not going to live by what I feel. I'm going to live based on what he finished. I'm not going to trust how I feel. You know, that's the core definition of pride. Obsessing on what I feel and what I think above what God says. And so somebody this morning needs to say, you know what? I may not feel it, but praise God, I'm not in charge. I enthrone him over and over again in my heart. See, I'm going to elevate the finished work above my feelings. And so to help us out in this, I talked about declarations of grace. I put together and just spent some hours in prayer to put together a resource for you that I believe is going to be a help. We've gone through every book of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible, to find declarations of who God is, what he's done, and who he's become. And so what I've done is taken a verse from every one of the 66 books, and here's the reason. Jesus says the whole story is about me. Sometimes we'll hyper-focus on one. We're going to do everything in the Psalms. No, I wanted to go cover to cover, from, from opening cover all the way back to the maps, and say, I'm going to point and show you that Jesus is who he said. And so I'm going to encourage you to, to print these out, to put them on your mirror in just a second. I'm going to show you how to get them. We've got a QR code there. I'm going to come back to it. But first, I want to give you a little preview of what it's going to be. You see ones like this. You see uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, we have this declaration. It's that my God fights my battles, so I only need to follow. In Zephaniah, we see a declaration. My God is presently rejoicing over me with singing. Did you know that? Did you know right now that your God is adoring you and dancing over you right now? The scene that you saw here in this drama that took place is your reality, whether you know it or not. And Philemon, my God longs to transform every useless act I've committed uh, into something beautiful and useful in his kingdom. Nothing has been wasted. Come on, that's good. Anybody feel like you've done some useless things in your life? Isn't it good to wake up and say, you know what, nothing's been wasted? He's transforming every useless thing I've done into something useful in his kingdom. And here's another declaration. The book of James, the declaration is, my God is at work in my trials to bring out maturity and completeness in me. I don't need to resist or resent them, but allow my God to refine me. And so these are just four of the 66 that we have. Each one of these has a declaration and has a scripture there that you can stand on. And so again, if we could just pull up that QR code. We've made this resource available completely free for you. It's on our website, myoverflowchurch.com. It's under print resources. You could scan the QR code here. This is what I want to encourage you to do. For somebody, you need to download this on your phone. You need to print it out and put it on your mirror. And you need to keep washing it over you. This is a step that we can take to hide the finished promises of God in our hearts. We have more than enough revelation to see revival today. We hide the word of God in our heart and we continue to declare praise and declare grace over the finished work until our feelings follow. By the way, your feelings, they're a gift. They're just not to be worshipped or trusted. They're a gift. And they're to be under your, your leadership, not over. 
So as you surrender to the Father, as you declare grace, what you're going to find is your feelings are going to follow. There's joy that has been given to us in Christ and by Christ and through Christ. He did all the work to secure it. It says that he gives us his joy. You know what that means? It means that no person, no process, no predicament, and no problem has the power to take your joy. You have to give your joy away. Somebody's got to get that this morning, okay? I'm going to step on somebody's toes for just a second. Because some of y'all coming around like you're Eeyore in the kingdom of God. Oh, woe is me. Nobody loves me. Life's hard. And then what you do is you constantly empower your circumstances. My boss, this. My kid, this. My spouse, this. My neighbor, this. This is what I want to tell you. Jesus purchased your joy. Nothing can take your joy because no name can be lifted above his. You have to give your joy. So whenever you walk in and say, I don't have joy, then you relinquished something that was yours. But somebody, I got good news today. Say good news. The good news is this. Today, if you are surrendering your joy to lesser gods, it is merely a temporary interruption from the internal inheritance that will be yours forever. He will complete the fullness of his joy in you. He promises it. My God will complete every work that he started. You didn't qualify yourself for joy. You can't disqualify yourself from joy. It is yours. You and I only have one choice in the matter. Will you choose today to live awake or asleep to the joy that's already yours? I want to tell you, anybody in the room love Jesus? But guess what? I got news for you. I've seen the end of your story. Joy is yours forever. He wins. Okay? And about three of you believe me right now. But it doesn't matter because his work is finished. And one day what's going to happen is your feelings are going to follow the finished work of the cross. In the interim, what do we do? We've got to make declarations of grace because, listen, the loudest voice is going to win every day. And, and right now we have a million voices competing for our attention. That's all kinds of bad news. It's empowering all kinds of other voices and trying to get all other kinds of responses. But the finished work of God is done. So I'm going to tell you, if you're a believer and you want to know what you need to do, you need to stand upon the finished work of God and hide his word in your heart. We live upon declarations of grace. The second one is this. We live by rhythms of gratitude. We want to live free of shame, live free of entitlement. We must develop rhythms of gratitude in our heart. Paul says this in Colossians 2. He said, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Can anybody join me this morning and remember the first time you became awake to God's overwhelming love within you? Anybody, you remember when he saved you? Anybody remember a time God healed you? Anybody remember a time God forgave you? Something that was lost that he found? Something that was broken that he restored? In that moment, what was your response? We were overflowing with thankfulness, weren't we? Nobody had to teach us how to have joy in that moment when our God was better than we dreamed he could be. So listen, Paul says this, the same way you received him, continue to walk. God's goodness hasn't changed. If anything, I want to say this, if you're a believer, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more deliriously joyful you should get because it's another day you've been awake to grow under his adoration. 
the longer we've been Christians, the more excited we should get. Anytime I meet somebody who's like, I've been a Christian 30 years, I'm like, you want to tell your face? Like, <laughs> the longer we've known him, the more we should be filled with adoration. And in the midst of a world that's presently groaning, we need rhythms of gratitude to remind us over and over and over how good and faithful he is and how great he's been. And so this morning, there's, there's tons of these we could develop, but this morning, I want to share three super practical ways we can lead our hearts to retire entitlement and radiate with joy. The first one is this. You and I can set memorial stones. Set memorial stones. There's this time in the Old Testament, the people of Israel had perfectly been positioned for this moment. They have waited an entire generation to see. God showed the spies the promised land. He gave them favor with Rahab, and now they took the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the very presence of God. And the Bible says that the moment Joshua's toe stepped into the Jordan River, that just like Moses, the waters parted and fled from him. And the people began leaving the desert and stepping into their destiny. And it's here in this moment as they're crossing across the Jordan River, which I've been to Israel and I've had an opportunity to see. That God gives a command. He says, right now, Joshua, I want you to choose one man from each of the 12 tribes, and I want them to grab a large stone from the middle of the bottom of the Jordan River. And I want you to carry it to the other side. And they did. And when the final foot left the Jordan River, all of the waters rushed back in, creating a divide between their former graves and their present grace. And God said, I want you to make memorial stones for the generations to come. You take these stones and you stack them up clearly where everybody could see it so that for generations to come, you will remember where I brought you. Memorial stones fortify our faith. Every time we look at something where we go back to a moment where we remember what our God did, we're ready to believe the greater work that he's promised he wants to do. Secondly, memorial stones mark the boundary of our new residence. See, when you see a memorial stone, you suddenly know this place of victory is ours now. This is where I live now, not there anymore. And for the Israelites, before they could ever choose to leave the place God brought them in love and faithfulness, they'd have to pass by the memorial stones on their way out. I have some memorial stones that I keep before me. In fact, I'm going to bring a picture up here right now. Memorial stones that I keep in my office. These are running uh, medals that, that I have. I love to meet with God. I'm one of these weird people, y'all, that I love to meet with God in nature in an open space. And I can't explain it, but when I jog, it's like I come alive. And so jogging for me is a daily rhythm that brings me life and lets me meet with God. But the reason these matter to me is this is a rhythm I was told I would never be able to experience again. Nearly four years ago, to the day, right now, I experienced one of the biggest moments of my life. Like Janelle, I found myself at the Straz Center, where my band, Valley's End, had just finished our album release at the Straz, and we had Jenny Owens, the, the Christian uh, music star, open for us, and I was on cloud nine with what God was doing. And that night as I got home, I pulled into my garage, ready to go in and celebrate with my family, when suddenly and unexpectedly, I collapsed on the floor as my back completely gave out. It began a two-year struggle 
of debilitating pain. There were many nights that I would come home early from work and curl up in the fetal position, unable to get in any place where I could be comfortable. There were multiple times I would drive home after ministering to somebody about the power of my God and not be able to get out of the car. In fact, there was one time that I got home after officiating a wedding alone and I couldn't get out and I waited and I waited and waited before having to do the humiliating work of taking an army crawl from my driveway all the way to my bed in a suit. All kinds of tests were run on me and nobody could figure out exactly what was wrong. They could see the pain but not what caused it. Somebody said they believe you've got one leg shorter than the other. They put a lift in one shoe, I found myself in weekly intensive and painful therapy, but for all of it, it was only getting worse. I could still remember the day I walked in and the doctor said, listen, I gotta tell you something, it's time that you hang up your running shoes, those days are through. The stuff that you're doing in that is hurting you far too much, it's not a good rhythm for you, this is the new reality you're gonna need to learn to deal with. And so I did, and some time passed, and the pain didn't get better. Finally, I found myself days before what would become a global pandemic that none of us expected. We had an event right here at the church. It would be the last event we would do before the pandemic. And in the midst of this event where we were sharing God's love, once again, my back came out, gave out, and I found myself laying right here on these chairs right in front of us. When two of my dear friends, two elders of our church, Robin and Aaron, came and began to pray for me. They prayed in that moment that God would heal it, that God would take it, that God would answer mysteries. Erin said she felt something in that moment. I didn't. But several weeks later, I was lying in bed when suddenly I became aware that over the last weeks, the pain had moved to the other side of my back. And God leaned in and asked me a question. He said, hey, what if I'm actually healing you? And that lift in your shoe is now agitating what I'm doing. And so, from my bed, I reached over to the shoes, and I took that lift out, and I put it on my nightstand where it stayed for a long time after. And then I heard the craziest thing. Right before I closed my eyes to go to bed, he said, hey, why don't you go for a run in the morning? So I did. And to my shock, when I began to run, the pain began to leave. And I ran again and again and again. And I didn't collapse, I was getting better the more I ran. I gotta tell you guys, I sit before you today more than two and a half years after that moment to tell you, my God healed me. Now listen, in the time that I was told your running days are through, I went and I threw away every medal from every race I had ever run. Every 5K, every 10K, the Gasparilla Half Marathon, it hurt too much to look at them. But God. As I began to run again and the whole world was shut down, I found these virtual distance challenges that said, when you finish these insane levels of distance over your daily runs, we'll award you with a medal as sort of a beauty from ashes. I started small, a door of hope, the foster uh, agency that we walk with. I ran a 5K, 3.1 miles, and then it started getting crazy, y'all. I went to the military miles challenge, and I ran 180 miles. Then I found these virtual challenges where I ran the distance of Niagara Falls, 70 miles. 
Then I ran the ascent of Mount Fuji, 46 miles, Mount Kilimanjaro, 69 miles, Mount Everest, 64 miles, the entire perimeter of the Grand Canyon, 280 miles. Then they told me that they had the Lord of the Rings challenge. And listen, I'm a nerd, y'all. And I was like, what? I'm going to run where Frodo went? This is amazing. So I began to run. I ran the distance of the Shire, 145 miles, the Fellowship, 98 miles, the, the Mines of Moria, 40 miles. I'm currently running the Eye of Sauron. I'm 48.4 miles into my 90. I look good for it, don't I? 48.4 miles into my 95-mile journey, and then after this, I'm headed to Mordor, 282 miles. I got to tell you this, y'all. Since God healed me, I have run 1,043.5 miles. That's 10,440 minutes. That's 5,509,680 steps I was told I would never be able to take. So I got to tell you something. When I look at my wall, I see memorial stones that shout to me. My God resurrects dead dreams. And my God makes my, the impossible my inheritance. There's nothing he can't do. There's power in our memorial stones. Now, for some people, they'll find that, that they get uh, mason jars where they can add buttons to them for every answered prayer or a diploma or an award or a certificate on the wall of something you never believed you could do. I've got just one more memorial stone I want to share with you. We call it our foster wall. And so this one at our house, the next picture there. We're a foster family and have been for the last five years. And so on our wall, we've got every biological and foster kid that we've ever had the joy to love and hold and watch God restore to their family. And I gotta tell you, walking through this time, my greatest joy is this. Just recently, just last week, I got to look in the eyes uh, of my new foster son, five years old, his birth mom, who is just amazing. And I came to her and embraced her and said, boldly, you keep going because I know with faith your kid is coming home because I got a whole wall that points to me of the faithfulness of my God. There's power when we will remember what our God has done. So I want to ask you the question, where has he been faithful to you? Where can you set memorial stones? The second rhythm I want to talk about is that you and I need to reclaim rest. To reclaim rest. Exodus 28, God says this. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Then again, Jesus said this in Mark 2. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God placed rest at the core of creation. He worked for six days, then he rested. Now, you and I know the story. We were made on the sixth day, which means this. The first human activity we ever shared in was to rest. We were designed to live from rest, not to live as workaholics to wait 65 years where one day we can earn the rest of retirement. Rest was to be a continual rhythm for the people of God. And yet, of all of God's commands, I would say this is the one that his children seem to most resist. We make tons of excuses. We joke about it. I'll sleep when I'm dead, <laughs> right? We wear busyness like a badge of honor. And we can't seem to connect the dots how our inability to rest is harming us more than just about anything else. 
I would say this to us as the children of God. Instead of obsessing on everyone else's stances as what's broken in the world, we would see far greater revival if we would simply serve as stewards over our own souls. The Sabbath is not an option for some personality types. It's a human requirement for our health and our holiness. So when we think about Sabbath and rest, I want to say this. Sabbath is a matter of surrender. Do you trust God enough to stop playing God over your schedule? The Sabbath is a matter of surrender. Do we trust God enough to stop playing God over our schedule? And I want to say this right now, if you're going through and you feel too many days, you're like Eeyore and you've lost gratitude, it's highly likely you're burned out because you stopped resting. Listen to me. Rest is the root of restoration. So I want to urge you to honor a weekly, and that's W-E-E-K-L-Y, not W-E-A-K-L-Y, a weekly Sabbath. One day every week where you would choose the bold rhythm of rest. I love this. Pastor Erin, our outreach pastor, she practices Sabbath with her family, and she asked four critical questions before her family to determine if what they're doing is reflecting the heart of true Sabbath. And here they are. Does it bring rest? Does it delight? Does it restore? Does it refresh? You want to know if you're resting? Is it, is it bringing me rest? Right? It's my rest day and I'm more exhausted than before. Then you're doing it wrong. Does it delight? Is it something I want to do? By the way, Sabbath, if you're working hard to Sabbath, you're doing it wrong. This is when you rest from doing to have permission to be. Does it refresh me? And does it restore what's broken? All of us are a different people. We all have different seasons. We all have different things that lead us to rest. But those four questions become an, an anchor that can move you from doing to being a kid. Now, in addition to that, I want to urge you to have a daily Sabbath. And I mean two things by that. One, our bodies have been made to require sleep. We've got to stop depriving ourselves from it. God grants sleep to those he loved because he made you to require sleep. We've got to get back to the place. I can't tell you how many people that are like, it's a spiritual battle, it's spiritual warfare. No, go to sleep. <laughs> Take a nap. Good Lord. Right? You watch the Snickers commercial, you're not you when, when you're hungry. You're not you when you're tired either, all right? So for somebody, you, you would do a lot less spiritual warfare in your prayer if you'd just go take a nap, all right? <laughs> the second one I mean by a daily Sabbath is this. In a hyper-connected world where we've developed this rhythm that we always must be available, we have to make space to be unavailable to our devices and to distractions to be present to God and our family in the moment. What I mean is this. You need to have times you turn off your phone. You need to have times. Somebody's like, oh, man, I was fine till now. Now it's too much. You need to have times you put it on the nightstand. You need to have times you turn off the notifications. I want to tell you one of those beautiful things I've done. I went through every app and all the notifications because you know when you get them, they're all like, can we notify you all the time at 3 in the morning with some new stupid sticker that you can get that doesn't matter worth anything? And I'm like, no, you can't. None of you can notify me. I'm so powerful. <laughs> I went in and turned off all the notifications. So social media notifications, the only way I'm going to know something's happening on social media, I've got to choose to go in which means that now it's working on my schedule and I'm saying this is a restful, useful, restoring activity, not at any moment you can come and reach me. 
I want to say in the Christian life, you saying I've got to be available for all people at all times might mean that you think you're the savior of the world. We already have one of those. You don't need to be available all the time. You need to be gloriously unavailable. I'll go a little bit further. Some people wrestling with gratitude, it may be time for the love of God, you need a media fast, all right? And I'm not saying I haven't been on social media to know, but there's been too many times where I've watched Christians and I'm like, listen, you need a break, you need a time out. You need to go to your corner, regroup, because you don't sound like Jesus right now. Or maybe you're at the place where you're not responding to any of that, but it is just weighing on your soul and you need a break where you can get a season of rest and regain the joy of being alive. You need to go back where you think on what is pure and noble and praiseworthy. And if you're putting yourself in rhythms that aren't that, then it's time for a Sabbath. The last one I'll say is this about reclaiming rest is we need people in our lives that refresh and restore. All of us are called to love the people that are the hardest and the toughest. And if they're next to you, don't nudge them right now. All of us are called to love people that are the hardest. But listen, we also need safe people in our lives that we can just be a kid with. We need people that we can be vulnerable and drop our guard and rest. That's one of the reasons we make such a big deal about missional communities here at Overflow Church. It's an environment where you can get out of all this programized everything and build relationships that are about reflection and rest and, 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 um, and restoration that come to us. So you need people that help you reclaim your rest. The third rhythm is this. We've got to go to the well. We were created for friendship with God an intimacy that would become our greatest privilege and our greatest priority. And so it's going to be vital that you and I find the way that we enjoy God. For me, it's running, walking, reading, and writing. Those four activities, when I'm there, I become attuned to the God of the universe. He speaks to me and I speak to him and I come alive. And so in those four things, reading, running, walking, uh, and, and writing, when I take those things... I come alive, so I've made them daily rhythms for me to rest. And I don't share them so that you would copy them. I share them as a real-life experience so you could stoke what makes you come alive with God. I want to say this. If you start thinking about life with God and you're like, it's spiritual disciplines, and they all just don't bring you joy, I love you. You're doing it wrong. We've been made to enjoy God forever. God's already purchased everything. He doesn't need you to, to study and to figure out and to do and to prove that you're holy. He actually wants you to just come alive in the way he made you come alive on this playground called discovery where you can just be with him. And so the question is, what makes you come alive with God? I would encourage you, somebody today, find people that you admire and that you respect. You look at their relationship with God and you're like, I see life there. I don't see them trudging and trying to figure out. Man, I just see them constantly refreshed before the Lord. And I got to know, what are you doing? Not so you can go copy what they do, but so you can look at their personality and their rhythm and go, that makes sense. And then you can go look in the mirror and go, what's my personality? What's my rhythm? And you would give yourself permission to just go and enjoy God. If there's one piece of advice I could give that I wish somebody would have given me. In going to the well, I tried to copy everybody else's way there, and it didn't work. And finally, when I gave myself permission to go, oh, God loves me, and he likes me, which means the way that I should pursue him should be something I love and I like, that I found it was already there for the taking. So I just want to encourage you in that. Here's a practical idea for you. Most of us have this moment every morning where you have a mobile calendar that you pull out in your hand to review the day ahead, yeah? We have a moment to do that. This is what I would encourage you. It's a beautiful opportunity for a rhythm of gratitude. Instead of rushing through that or looking at that thing you don't want to do and rolling your eyes, if you would just take one minute, 
to talk to God aloud as you look at your calendar. And don't lead with all the things you're not looking forward to. Those are going to find you on their own. If instead, you would just start to list a few things you're thankful for in the day ahead, what you will find is it will become a purifying and cleansing rhythm over you. Just the other day, I do this daily, as I go, and I don't try to do it religiously, it's just when I'm sitting down to eat breakfast, I got my calendar and I can't help it. I just see it and I'm like, Lord, I get to do this, this, and this. And I found, just the other day going through this, there's one of these that I would have rolled my eyes hard at, that I was like, I don't want to do this. But because I've been walking through this rhythm of gratitude, I got to that one, and it didn't get a groan. I, I suddenly realized why God was calling me there. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be hard, but this is what's going to be really good for me and really good for them. Thank you that you do hard things to help me grow. And then I was like, whoa, what am I doing? I'm not complaining right now. I'm actually walking in gratitude. So it's a way that you could just walk through this and let God wash over you. We've been made, guys, to not only experience freedom from shame and entitlement, but to live all of our lives in the land of grace and gratitude. And so as we end this series, I want to remind us this. All that is needed for our residency in that place is already yes and amen in Jesus. It's already ours. The only choice we have left is will we choose to live awake? I've made my decision. Will you? Would you stand with me? As we end this time, I just want to ask a few questions of us of how we can now respond to the Lord. So I'm going to ask if you would just close your eyes before the Lord. There's a few things that I want to ask. Number one, do you struggle with anxiety and pessimism? Do you find that you, you get anxious all the time? If so, you may need to anchor your life in God's promises. And so we're going to put back up on the screen and we'll leave it up to the end of the service, that QR code for this resource of declarations of grace. If you're saying all the time, my feelings are running the show, then your activation right now is you need to get declarations of the finished work of God and what he's already purchased on your behalf that you could let them wash over you again and again and again. For somebody, this morning what is needed is a point of memorial stones. Maybe there's a place that God is calling you into a visual representation of his goodness. Maybe somebody this morning, you heard my testimony about my back. And you'd be real honest before the Lord and say, you know what, I need that. There's a place in my physical life or my emotional life. There's a place in my relationships. There's a place with some addiction or some place that I'm wrestling, that I need a miracle. I need breakthrough. I want to tell you this morning, as I continue to give these other challenges, our one altar call this morning is going to be this. We've got ministers up front. And if you're saying this morning, I need a breakthrough from the God of faithfulness. There's something going on in my life that I can't shake. I can't figure it out. I need God to move. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come to one of these ministers. I'm going to ask you, even as I continue to give these challenges, if at any point while I'm talking, you're like, you know what? That's it. I need that miracle because I've gotten discouraged and I've gotten down and I feel alone and I need somebody to come in with me and ask for heaven to move. I'm going to ask for you to come. For the rest, as they continue to come and as they're ministered to in this place, I want to ask you, what is God saying to you about your rest are you operating like a machine or a beloved child? Where is God calling for you to be the steward of your soul right now? Is it well with your soul?
Can we just get honest right now? There's no condemnation in the kingdom of God. There's only invitation in the kingdom of God. Are you Sabbathing? Do you have the regular rhythm? By the way, the Sabbath is an act of faith. Saying, I believe that God made me to rest and to delight in him and the people that he put in my life, and I'm going to choose to trust him, choosing to believe I'm not my provider. For somebody right now, maybe what God is saying is, is you need to choose a day for your family to Sabbath. I'm going to ask right now where you stand, would you do that? Would you say right now, this is the day our family needs to rest. This is the day we need to start moving things around. We need one day a week where we're resting and delighting and being restored and being refreshed. I want to ask the question about your rest right now. How's your sleep? Do you find that you're burning the candle at both ends all the time and you've acted as if that's not a spiritual matter? I want to tell you it's deeply spiritual. You're a spirit and you're wearing down by trying to push yourself beyond your boundaries. Would you just surrender right now? Say, oh, Father, I receive the self-control and the grace to walk through and get enough rest. You grant sleep to those you love. Maybe right now you're finding struggles with your sleep. That's one of those miracles you need to come and have somebody pray for you. That you find that you wrestle, you can't get into a deep sleep at night, you can't get to sleep, and God wants to do something. I'm going to ask you out from your seat. You'd ask somebody to just go with you. In the rhythm of your rest, I want to ask, where is it that every day God is calling you to come away with him? To put down the tyranny of the urgent and everything that's going. Maybe for some of you, God, again, this morning is super practical. Maybe what God is saying to you is you need to go into your phone and you need to turn off all those notifications. You need to choose a new family rhythm to say, when I get home from work, it's just us. I'm not available to the rest of the world. Maybe you're one of those that what you do is your mind is always going to all those tasks, all those things. I know especially moms are, are the biggest heroes that I have on the planet. And I find moms as the most selfless people can be the ones that all the time have a running to-do list of everything that needs to be done for all the people that you love. I want to tell you, you need to rest from that mom. You need to rest from that. Do you need to receive the grace to say, I'm not just going to keep going all the time. I'm going to allow God the grace and the space for me to just be again. I would ask you, where is God calling your heart into intimacy with him? Maybe you've been at the place where your spiritual life looked like mine did, and it was not stuff that you enjoyed. It was stuff that you were told that a good Christian was supposed to do, and what you need to step into is delight. Maybe somebody, the simple prayer this morning, is hand on your heart to say, God, I don't know how, but I want to delight in you, and I want to know that you delight in me. And I want you to show me what that looks like in my daily life. Would you just surrender to that this morning? Father, I ask that all over this room that you would release the joy that you have purchased for us. It says, my joy is yours and no one can take it from you. Maybe right now, if there's a place where you've given your joy away, you've empowered your boss or another relationship, or another circumstance, would you right now in this place say, Lord, I'm taking that thing off the throne. That thing doesn't get to determine my joy anymore. Father, I elevate you again. I ask you to come in and show me how to see your face every day. I ask, even in this moment, for somebody, would you just ask, Father, would you fill me with joy? 
Father, would you fill me with joy? Come on, there's somebody in the room that needs that right now. Hand on your heart, simple declaration. Father, would you fill me with your joy? I want to know you. I want to see the goodness of my God in the land of the living. I receive your joy. I open my eyes. I choose to come awake.